Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I am your host, Tiasha Zaitz, and I do hope you're coping well with the current COVID-19 pandemic. Many people with families in lockdown are struggling with finding the time to exercise or work in peace. If you're mostly working behind the computer, your home environment might not be most suited for it. Hopefully, you're not suffering from chronic pain, but if you do, or if any pain problems are showing up, this episode will be very interesting to you. You will hear how chronic pain can be managed with the digital therapeutic Kaya Health. I spoke with Mark Lieber, VP of Business Development at Kaya Health, who formerly worked for Startup Health and has a deep understanding of the digital health industry. So besides talking about how Kaya Health works, what is the clinical evidence behind the app, Mark also shared his view regarding the expectations about the future of digital health. You might be surprised by his lucid thoughts. If you're not a regular listener, this is the fourth episode of a special series about digital therapeutics. In the episodes published thus far, we presented the basics of DTX with Jessica Schul from DTX Alliance. The second episode featured Paul Sims from i Pharma discuss the relationship between DTX and the pharma industry. And now we're presenting three practical examples of DTX from Australia, US and India. The first example was a solution to change the behavior around alcohol. Jamie Moore, General Manager at the Australian organization Hello Sunday Morning, talked about how alcohol abuse can be managed through digital means. So if I'm at a pub and someone asks me, what do you do for work? If I tell them about what I do for work and I don't have a drink in my hand, I literally see the way they look at me as I'm judging them or I don't understand or I can't be trusted. But if I have a beer in my hand, like the level of engagement they have in the conversation and interest is 100x. You know, it's like they're saying, oh, you get it. Great. You drink like I can trust you and, and you understand. So it's just such a, a fascinating uh, dynamic that we have in the world around alcohol is this, you know, dangerous drug. Like it, it is a dangerous drug and that's accepted by many, many people, um, but it's legal and it's readily available. Um, so it's, it's just so hard for so many people when they want to cut back on it. And in the next episode, you will be able to hear Abhishek Shah, the CEO and founder of Wealthy, the leading Asian DTX company, talk about their DTX solution for diabetes and many other indications in India. Uh, we started, you know, like with every um, team begins, right, with personal problem. Uh, all had family members that were suffering from either cardiovascular issues or type 2 diabetes. Once it began there, it was fundamentally apparent that uh, you can't solve for a condition or an indication. You have to fall, solve for the patient and their health outcome. So many of our patients had comorbidities of um, or cardiovascular issues with diabetes or diabetes with cardiovascular issues or chronic kidney disease issues with either of the two. Our initial platform actually succeeded on improving health outcomes in that type 2 diabetes, but abysmally failed when we were trying to do multimorbidity management. So literally, we went back to the drawing 
Dashboard and re-architected the platform for multi-morbidity management because we realized that patient outcomes aren't about an indication. They are about the entire person. And if they have two or three conditions, then we have to find a way to help them for all those conditions. But now, chronic pain and Kaya health. You can find a written summary of the show on our website, www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. The direct link to this episode is in the show notes. If you haven't yet, do subscribe to the podcast to be notified about the next episode automatically and not miss the last part of this series. Enjoy the shows. And now, to Mark Lieber. Mark, hi. In short, Kaya Health is a solution for mitigating musculoskeletal diseases such as chronic back pain. And Kaya Health works by offering the user a motion sensor guided exercises, which means that an individual not only tries to follow the video instructions, as you can do on YouTube, but you actually get feedback if the exercises are executed uh, correctly or not. And the app is also additionally supported with an actual coach so the user can connect to an, a real person for additional advice. It sounds really, really complex, although AI is involved. So can you tell me a little bit more about how the solution works? So how active is, does the role of the coach have to be? How many people does one coach coach? Uh, we've designed Kaya Health to be a very accessible digital therapy for those with musculoskeletal conditions, also those with COPD, and I know we'll discuss some of those later. So the therapy itself is, is driven by, I like to say, three things. Firstly, it's driven by the algorithms of the app itself. So within Kaya, as a user is using Kaya, they always, we have information on the data that of engagement of what users are doing on the app, the modules they're completing, for example. We have information about their pain level and how that's improving over time. So the therapy progress uh, in terms of what modules people are completing adapts every day based on the user's progress the day before. So the actual algorithms within the technology is one piece that drives the therapy. Um, the second is what we call our motion coach. And I'm, you just alluded to that as well, uh, with AI being the underpinning of the motion coach, which is an automated coach that enables real-time form correction and feedback to make sure people are doing their exercises correctly. Uh, we're also able to use a motion coach for functional testing, so we can assess how somebody's mobility is doing over time, for example. And for COPD, I do things like the sit-to-stand test remotely, which would typically require somebody to come into the clinic. And the third piece, which you, you just asked about most directly, which are the health coaches. Um, so our health coaches are, are humans. Uh, they're not AI. They're working with our users through the Kaya app. Um, so they can chat the user on the chat function of the app, they can do phone calls with the users as well. We call them coach calls all around supporting the user. Um, so the coach is actually very proactive in engaging with the user. So they will reach out uh, on a weekly or biweekly basis to see how the user is doing, to see how what help they might need. And that's through the app, but also via other channels like email or SMS. Uh, but of course, the user can choose how active they want the coach to be. Um, so not every user likes to interact with the coach as much 
Uh, some do very much, and when we'll talk to the user almost every week. Um, so that is actually the to be adaptable is a big role of the coach uh, from user to user. Um, but we do see uh, that people who do use the coach tend to be more engaged, a lot more engaged with the program. They follow the protocol, and they also see better results. You have uh, 400,000 registered users for musculoskeletal diseases, and 70,000 of those users actually finished a program in 2019. Can we outline a bit the whole problem of musculoskeletal diseases? And uh, perhaps where do you see Kaya Health and DTX in tackling this problem compared to the conventional methods? among them opioids, which are a big problem in the U.S. Um, so actually the 70,000 number you mentioned, that's that's how many active users per month that we have on the program. Um, so a bit a bit more complete the program on a yearly basis, um, but just wanted to mention that. Um, musculoskeletal solutions, yes, a, definitely a very complicated disease area. So why we begun with musculoskeletal? We actually started because our founder and CEO, Constantine, he himself suffered from chronic low back pain. Actually, many people with musculoskeletal disorders do have chronic low back pain. I think about 70% do. So our founding was inspired by him, of course, but additionally with the challenges of many others in the healthcare system who see that musculoskeletal disorders are very costly to treat and also very fragmented. So I, I usually like to mention for musculoskeletal, when you think about procedures that people get for their musculoskeletal disorders, typically mentioned are surgery, such as spine surgery, physical therapy, chiropractic, acupuncture, uh, also pain injections. But then there's a host of other uh, visits, such as office visits or emergency department visits, for chronic musculoskeletal pain. Uh, and all of these are very expensive. So in the healthcare system, the, the payers, the health insurances most often, they face a challenge that people with musculoskeletal disorders are very expensive to insure. For them, the pain point is quite strong. Given what you said, it sounds like insurers should be running towards Kaya to you know, reimburse the app for their users if it's cheaper than other conventional methods. Yes, we do, especially these days, the COVID-19 situation. There is a lot of interest in bringing virtual care into the picture for musculoskeletal because right now, of course, you know, nobody is really getting access to healthcare, especially not physical healthcare, which is what a lot of these therapies are. Uh, even if they're surgery, if they're physical therapy, these clinics are closed nowadays. So there's definitely that interest from from payers and, and from employers as well. How do you see this situation that's unveiling now? So the uptake of digital health solutions because of the current situation. You've been in the digital health space for quite a long time before joining Kaya Health. You worked for Startup Health. So you have a good overview of the industry. I think what uh, I hear people saying often is, that you know, I've been building this virtual solution for many years and only now are people starting to pay attention. So in, in more of the innovation ecosystem, let's say, I think there's a lot of excitement, not because people are sick or people are hurting, but rather there is an increased demand and a chance for some of these solutions to really get out there and start to benefit patients. 
like they're meant to be. So I mentioned with, with musculoskeletal in particular, people uh, are unable to really leave home. They're unable to get appointments with their physiotherapist or their physical therapist. Uh, and really, they're oftentimes working from home, like I am, in very poor working environments with poor posture and, and inappropriate desks, as well as, uh, I don't know if you're anything like me these days, I have about 100 steps per day because I'm just sitting in my apartment most of the day. And so all of these factors as well mean that I'm less mobile and mobility is a key association with, with musculoskeletal disorders. Um, so it's, it's not just, I would say, that people cannot get access to the care they usually would get, but people aren't doing anything at all um, and even making their situation worse. So we see that it's really important right now to, to make sure people get continued access to all, all sorts of chronic disease care, but at Kaya specifically, pulmonary and musculoskeletal. Do you have a company policy that all the employees have a set of exercises that they can do through the app or something? That would be something that you could implement. Yes, as we, we actually do have a, a session every week where we do Kaya together online, which is fun. Sometimes we do a meditation module. Sometimes it's a physical exercise module, but it is fun to reconnect with colleagues, but also they, uh, try to improve some healthy habits as well. Since you mentioned meditations, one of the components of Kaya Health app is practicing mindfulness. And I really wonder what you think about mindfulness in general, because to me, it seems that mindfulness and meditation have been used as buzzwords in many healthcare apps, similarly as artificial intelligence was, and perhaps still is in some cases. So it almost seems that if you're not doing mindfulness in one way or another, you're not in sync with the current trends or something. I do hear the term mindfulness all the time as well. And it does remind me a bit like AI. To draw maybe a comparison, another word I hear a lot is cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. And this CBT comes up quite often. When I think of CBT, I, I think of AI sometimes in that, you know, CBT is a very technical, specific discipline, as is AI. However, what people will do and, and you know, what some companies might do is call their solution AI when it in fact isn't. Uh, and much the same thing from what I see happens with CBT. So it almost seems like with mindfulness, people who, who don't do traditional CBT but employ a lot of those elements are actually using mindfulness when CBT includes a lot more than that uh, in addition to that. But that said, that, that reminds me of exactly what you said around AI. I do think mindfulness is, is very important. However, uh, with digital therapeutics themselves, if you look at the market, uh, many, many digital therapeutics are digitized forms of mind-body therapies. Perhaps that's because uh, these mind-body therapies are easier to, to treat with technology or easier to treat with with software. But I do think that's another reason that mindfulness comes up quite often. Can you tell me a little bit more about the clinical trials that were done for Kaya Health Solutions? The results of one trial were published in May last year, and um, the title of the paper was Ab-based Multidisciplinary Back Pain Treatment versus Combined Physiotherapy plus Online Education. What were the results? That study was very interesting. It was about, I think it was about 100 users per group, 100 control, 100 experimental. And what we did there is the experimental group had access to Kaya 
as a therapy, and the control group had access to standard of care in the facility. So that standard of care was consisted of in-clinic physiotherapy as well as online education to follow. So what we saw here and what we were really comparing is the effectiveness to Kaya to standard of care or what these patients would typically get for, for their therapy. We followed the groups over 90 days and what we tracked results at six weeks and at 12 weeks. So at six weeks, what we saw is that there was a non-significant difference between the pain level improvement on a 1 to 10 scale between Kaya and control groups. So what, what that told us uh, is that over six weeks, uh, the groups performed quite the same, which is actually not not a negative result in our minds. That we were actually quite excited by that, that somebody could get nearly the same benefit going to in-person physiotherapy as well as compared to Kaya. Uh, then we followed the groups over 12 weeks and we saw uh, some differences start to appear. Uh, the Kaya group actually used Kaya about three times per week throughout the therapy. And we think that's a big reason why the Kaya group saw significant improvement in pain level at the 12-week time point. And there's actually 100 participants in total, uh, not 100 per group. Every clinical trial has specifically defined inclusion criteria. In your case, you only included those with lower back pain problems lasting for less than a year, which also mean, meant that out of 500 people that applied to participate in the research, only 101 were chosen. So what does the fact that you included only those with lower back pain problems lasting for less than a year mean for those that fall out of this segment, so those with longer-term problems. Are you planning to research that further? The challenge, firstly, with um, digital therapeutics trials is that in order to recruit these patients, it's actually a challenge but also a benefit. Uh, you, that Patients are typically recruited virtually or, or via digital means. Uh, so what that means is you, you do get a lot of people showing interest in the trial, which is great, but then uh, you do need to apply some relatively strict screening to make sure it is a homogeneous study population. Uh, so that is one reason why we do have a, a lot of eligibility criteria and did for our studies, as do other clinical trials. Uh, and I, I would say as well, in terms of chronic pain, uh, we did have people who had pain for less than a year, but that was simply to make the group uniform. Uh, what we see actually in the biology of pain is that someone who has chronic pain, uh, specifically chronic pain, is somebody who has had pain for more than three months. So if you look at somebody with pain for four months or someone with pain for 40 months, there is actually not much of a difference in terms of the biology of pain. So I think your question is, is very, very relevant for products out there in terms of considering where do you want to begin when you do a clinical trial, but also how do results influence other clinical trials. I would say that we definitely are expanding our studies, which are in progress already, to be both bigger, but also more diverse, uh, different user bases, so that we can study the impact in other populations as well. Uh, this study it does show, it was done in the population, which you're pointing out, however. 
So apart from the musculoskeletal disorders, uh, Kaya Health is also developing a solution for, for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, uh, which is a chronic inflammatory lung disease, and your digital solution could be of high significance during the lockdown because uh, COPD patients are among the risk groups, so it makes sense for them to be even more mindful of the preventative measures to avoid catching the, the virus. Can you tell me a little bit more how this specific area was chosen as the next frontier for Kaya Health? Yes, you're absolutely right. With uh, these days, with especially COVID-19, this patient population is especially vulnerable uh, in, in our population. COPD, we actually began with, uh, and it seems maybe a bit strange because we have a musculoskeletal product and a COPD product, and they're quite different. Uh, so the, the population of a user is quite different. A patient is quite different. The diseases are quite different. Um, the age groups of patients are quite different. So, so there is not a whole lot of overlap on the surface. However, we actually, our vision as a company is to bring best in class therapy to everyone with chronic disease. And so if you look at what we do with musculoskeletal, we take a protocol that we know works based on the literature and it's called multimodal pain management therapy. It's also called biopsychosocial pain management therapy in some places, uh, which is a mind-body therapy. It's very effective clinically, but there's very low access. So only about 2% of people do get access to biopsychosocial pain management therapy for a variety of reasons. But it turns out is there's a very similar therapy for COPD, and it's called pulmonary rehabilitation. So as with musculoskeletal, pulmonary rehabilitation, or PR, is very effective from a clinical perspective. It includes education. It includes uh, meditation or relaxation, mindfulness techniques, such as learning to stay calm when you're experiencing an exacerbation of symptoms, as well as COPD-specific physical exercises. Um, so as with musculoskeletal, only about 2% of pay COPD patients who could get a benefit from PR get access to PR. Um, so in fact, while the diseases are quite different, the, the basis for the therapies are quite similar. Uh, and that is why, in addition to the challenges with COPD on society, we focused there second. There's two challenges with COPD patients in particular uh, that we think Kaya can help to solve. Um, the first is that there usually are not enough beds and offerings for all the patients that need it. So pulmonary rehab was used to be more broadly used, at least in the U.S. However, it fell out of reimbursement amongst insurances about 10 years ago. So these days, it doesn't make much sense for a provider to offer pulmonary rehab rehabilitation, and so they don't. So therefore, the demand is, is not met nearly by the supply for PR. And secondly, which I've alluded to, the behavioral barriers, these patients are super fragile. Oftentimes, they're quite sick. They are older populations uh, compared to musculoskeletal on average. Uh, oftentimes, these people, uh, these patients are on oxygen therapy, for example. And so for them, traveling to therapy is a difficult challenge. And so with a digital therapeutic like Kaya based on pulmonary rehabilitation, we think we can 
increase access and, and benefit to the patient in a big way. You mentioned that uh, the PR is not reimbursed by insurance companies. So did you mean just the U.S. market? Because Kaya Help was initially launched uh, and founders come from Germany. So do you see any differences between the markets? Yes. Yeah, so, so the reimbursement challenge is definitely one in the U.S. Uh, in Germany, there, there actually is a bit more treatment capacity per capita. Uh, and people who are indicated for pulmonary rehab have more access to it than in the U.S. Um, but the challenge is also that in Germany, providers, and primary care providers in particular, they don't have a wide knowledge that pulmonary rehab exists out there. And so in Germany, a challenge that we probably have a bit more than in the U.S. is actually spreading awareness of pulmonary rehab in general. Um, so there, there are a bit of differences, but, but a lot of similarities, too, in the markets. Do you expect that the um, uh, scaling in the German, German market is going to be easier because of the changes that are happening in e-health regulation and the encouragement by the government to involve digital uh, solutions in healthcare management on a wider scale in the healthcare system? Recent advancement in Germany for digital health uh, is one which we're very excited our uh, or healthcare participants rather have been a bit more open to understanding digital healthcare solutions compared to the United States so this tailwind of the recent legislation is something that we we did see coming in some form and saw it as a, an exciting development for us to be able to scale the technology, as you mentioned. I think it definitely will play a large role in helping us to scale. Uh, what's great is we do benefit from being fairly well-known in Europe in digital health. Um, so we are amongst consumers, uh, a trusted healthcare vendor as well, healthcare product um, across the two conditions. Digital therapeutics are still um, quite unknown uh, in the industry. We know that uh, the solutions have clinical validation behind them to be able to even call themselves uh, digital therapeutics. But I think, I guess, there's still a lot of confusion regarding what the relationship between using DTX for a specific problem and using regular clinically validated medical solutions or medications. So in your case with uh, musculoskeletal disorders and with COPD, to which extent does Kaya Health just support the patient additionally to improve clinical outcomes? And to which extent can it actually replace part of the therapy? With back pain or just pain in general, we said that this could potentially be a solution that would avoid opioid use, whereas with COPD, I imagine that it will never be so because just one part of the treatment is addressed with the solution, right? As it relates to musculoskeletal, we first have entered the market working with payers. In the, in the Europe where we, when we began, as well as now in the U.S., now that we are operating here, we've begun working with payers at the beginning, which who are specifically employers, as well as health insurance companies. So we're fortunately fortunate to work with some of the largest of them so far across both in Germany and in the U.S. Um, but what this means and how we position Kaya there uh, within the healthcare system 
is as a digital therapeutic, a, a very easily accessible program for members to take advantage of uh, if they do have symptoms. So in this case, we do not replace other services like surgery or physical therapy that, that people might get um, because we do know that Kaya is not a great fit for every individual, but rather some will choose to take it up uh, more than others. Um, so therefore, yes, uh, we think if someone does use Kaya and does begin to see a pain level benefit through engaging with the program, they will use fewer services such as surgery or such as physical therapy or chiropractic or imaging procedures, um, which is a great benefit to the person. It makes their life a lot better, and that's our goal. Um, however, we do also integrate with other components of the healthcare system. So, for example, if a Kaya user does not see a benefit from Kaya or gets worse or has other medical issues arise that we hear about, we can transfer the person to a different site of care, such as referring them to their primary care doctor or uh, referring them to a behavioral health program if they need it. Um, so we always take an effort to not disrupt the healthcare system, but rather fit directly in to where there are gaps. Uh, and that's true for both the musculoskeletal and the COPD product. Uh, this COPD product is actually only patients who are referred to it by their doctor get access. Every drug has potential side effects or there it can happen that it just won't work on you because patients uh, differ in their responses to medications. So I thought it was really interesting when you mentioned that not all users may benefit from the program. Perhaps a word or two about that. How many side effects are you noticing perhaps? Because that's one of the issues that Jessica Schul mentioned in the first episode of the DTX series, which is that the DTX Alliance is just uh, starting to uh, wonder if there are DTX to DTX uh, relationships or if there can be negative side effects of these kinds of solutions and interactions between DTX and DTX. I do think so. As far as DTX are concerned, mo many of them do address conditions w with relatively stable patients uh, or proposed solutions which are relatively safe uh, and relatively low risk. So I think starting there uh, was intentional by many digital therapeutics companies, and we will probably see you know, the range of diseases that DTX can tackle increase quite a bit. Within the Digital Therapeutics Alliance, uh, of which uh, Jessica Schull is a part and a leader, there are quite a few digital therapeutics companies who work in various areas. I think what's great about the group Everybody is, is very collaborative in uh, driving the DTX industry forward. But further, everybody is very focused on solving the, to the best that they can the, the area that they're in. Uh, but there are indeed DTX to DTX collaborations that, that at least I know about and that we have discussed at Kaya because we do know that, yes, with our product, uh, somebody can better self-manage their chronic musculoskeletal pain. But in doing so, things could happen, such as an injury or development of osteoporosis or perhaps you know, a pregnancy, for example. And all of these areas uh, would be areas where we at Kaya would want to make sure that the user is still fit to use Kaya. Because in the end, 
they are using a solution unsupervised, uh, which is mediated by AI. So a lot of our focus is as well ensuring constant appropriateness for Kaya to try to minimize any adverse events that might occur. As we do have long-term relationships with our users, uh, we always seek to even develop partnerships with other DTX companies that would help to take care of them, if not even beyond musculoskeletal issues or COPD. How many users are consumers that are individuals and somehow found your solution? Because you work with some of the world's largest employers, such as Coca-Cola or health systems and insurance companies. Can you tell me a little bit more about those collaborations and just the general model of how interested users can find you? So we do work in the EU uh, as well as in the U.S., with many organizations. And so with, uh, in particular, employers for their employees and with health insurances for their members. So we actually, so far to date, have had about 420,000 unique people sign up for Kaya and use Kaya. Mentioned about every month, about 50 to 70,000 people are active on Kaya for musculoskeletal. So it's quite a large population. And the way we work with these groups to take a U.S. employer, for example, um, U.S. employers, many of them are self-insured employers, which basically means they pay 100% of the medical costs of their employees. So these days, medical costs in the United States are a very big concern. Uh, even, even bankrupting companies, it's been known to happen. And so many of employers are seeking for ways to improve the health of their employees and not just do that, but also reduce the medical cost which which their employees bring them. So usually when we're speaking to a potential partner of ours, like Kaya, uh, these people have a high, uh, musculoskeletal is a high cost driver within their population. So even one out of every six healthcare dollars that they spend is on musculoskeletal issues for their employees, uh, a top three cost driver. And we've even seen of a population, 40% of the population has musculoskeletal issues. And so very much when we're speaking with these partners, we're looking to deploy Kaya as a therapy option within that population. So users find out about us through multi-channel communications that we send out within that company. Um, So upfront, we always work with the company uh, whether it is an employer or whether it's a health insurance to understand how they communicate with their members or their employees and make sure that Kaya is also communicated because we just want to make sure that everybody in the group understands that Kaya exists and can identify if Kaya is right for them. Of course, from there, we do also screen users to ensure that appropriateness, which we talked about before, uh, but that is really the first step, spreading awareness. We mentioned a few times that Kaya Health uh, is uh, present in Germany and in the US. And I really wonder like how you are observing these two markets just from the cultural perspective in terms of how is it to negotiate reimbursement or just uh, getting the product to market in Germany compared to the US 
And at the same time, you mentioned that uh, in the US, some companies can potentially even get, get bankrupt because of the medical costs for their employees. I don't think that's possible in, in Germany. So that's why I'm really curious about your personal perception of working for a company on these two quite different markets in, in various aspects. When I, when I began at Kaya over a year ago, I, I was struck at first in the differences between the consumer sector, consumer habits, for example, because actually the healthcare systems are not so different. They are definitely different. Uh, however, there are a lot of similarities between the German healthcare system and the U.S. healthcare system. For example, having both private and, and public sectors, even though the, Germany has a larger public health sector than perhaps the U.S. does as a percentage of the population. But but the consumer behavior was really interesting to me at the beginning as well. Um, so what, what at least I noticed and what we hear about quite often is that in Germany, uh, consumers value medical advice and medical recommendations very highly. Data privacy is, is very, very important for this consumer group. Uh, and uh, trust is earned rather than assumed. So these groups, uh, this group of consumers... Uh, is can be quite skeptical of companies that enter the market if they're not familiar with them. And, and a lot of that has to do with, with privacy. As well as that, uh, what I noticed is that there's also a, a lower willingness to pay for services by patients or by insurances. So indeed, convincing German insurances to pay for Kaya for their members was very difficult uh, at the start. And we actually began as a direct-to-consumer product. Once we had a lot of users on the direct-to-consumer side through building that trust, we were able to appeal more to the insurances because they saw that a lot of their members were already using the product and feeling better. And so, therefore, that's when the conversations really began to begin. And the U.S. consumers are, are quite different uh, in my own experience and, and also speaking for myself. Uh, there are, like I said, both private and public healthcare sectors. But uh, consumers in the U.S. are willing to pay uh, a little bit more for convenience. And I think across the economy, uh, there's a lot of on-demand products that have become extremely popular, uh, even products like Uber or, or Lyft, for example. And so even though the healthcare system is very, very complicated to the U.S. consumer, if they see something which is, is solving an unmet need for them, in general, uh, American consumers are, are more trusting to, to jump in uh, and to, to try something as long as it can be more convenient to their life. And so historically, what I, what I saw at least is pri consumer privacy and data privacy was a bit less of a concern. I think that's starting to change now uh, in the U.S., but um, very, very uh, different consumer groups at the beginning, which influence how our commercial operations have gone. What are your expectations regarding the changes that are going to happen in consumer habits because of this globally wide lockdown? You know, so you mentioned that uh, American consumers are more prone to pay for something if it brings convenience. But at the same time, a lot of people around the world are now changing their consumer habits or just 
realizing now how convenient using online tools and online delivery and uh, online to offline services can be. Do you expect a positive impact to your business specifically because of all this? My feelings are mixed, in fact. I think it is on the positive side. Uh, there is, of course, a large rush, as you said, to on-demand services, largely out of necessity, because people cannot seek physical medicine services at the moment, for example. Uh, people cannot always go to the grocery store, so they will order something online. I think that is that trend for telehealth and DTX is positive, most definitely, because many of these products are seeking more access to bring access to the person more readily. However, something which is maybe a hesitation for me is if everything is now going digital, that same benefit for DTX or for telehealth also becomes a challenge. Because in the case of Kaya, for example, if a consumer is choosing between watching a movie on Netflix at home uh, or using Kaya, uh, that there is a choice that is being made. Or if somebody is stuck at home with their children who are not in school, they're trying to homeschool their children as well as work oftentimes. And still in that time, they need to find time to use Kaya. Uh, so I think it's both positive, but also a new challenge where for telehealth and DTX companies, simply being available uh, will be one step. However, there will be a very big focus on a user experience and actually needing to make your solution effective, but attractive uh, to be able to command the attention in this new area era. So I do think it is both positive and negative, maybe perhaps not negative, but something to think about going forward. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. Stay tuned, subscribe to the podcast, and if you liked what you hear, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps spread the word about the show and help others interested in the digital health space find the show as well. Thank you.